How many growing up ever uh, remember the ice cream truck? Remember the ice cream truck? So some, for, some of it was a, a van. For some, it was like a, a refurbished UPS truck. Or uh, I know when I was growing up, it was a Jeep. Actually, it was a, they had the mill. They refurbished a Jeep, an old Jeep. And, um, and I remember the first time I ever experienced that, I thought, what, what's going on? A beautiful little music coming up. And my friends told me what was happening. It was ice cream. Is ice cream. You could eat ice cream. And I'm, I'm like, what? And so... I remember, didn't take me long to figure that out, and man, when I'd hear that thing a couple blocks away, I'd run as fast as I could into the house looking for my mom or my dad, somebody with a quarter. And uh, I'm just searching, begging, begging for a quarter. And I would do anything. I remember my dad like, what? You want what? I want an ice cream truck. I need a quarter, Dad. I need a quarter. Well, I don't know if I want it. Give you a quarter. Well, we don't have time to talk about it. Just please give me a quarter. He's, he's coming and he's going to go. He's, I got to go. I got to go. Give me a quarter. He's like, you promise to love me for the rest of your life? I'm like, yes, I'll love you for the rest of your life. You promise to take care of me when I'm in an old folks? Oh, yes, I'll take care of you. I'm giving away my birthright for an ice cream cone right there. Didn't matter. I had to have that ice cream cone. I remember running out there and I look in that that, that decided that side of that little, it was a Jeep, it was a Jeep. Was, and, 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 and it had all these pictures of all these food groups that I love so much. And, 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 and then I remember looking over the little window and there was this silver little box and he opened it up and all this cold air would come out and he'd reach out and pull out a, you know, a, a, a popsicle or whatever we'd ordered. And, and I thought to myself at that moment, that's got to be the greatest job in the entire earth. You know, I, I think when I grow up, I want to be an ice cream, you know, dealer. I want to be a, I, I want to drive an ice cream truck. That's what, for a while in my life, that was my goal. I just want to drive an ice cream truck. How good could that be? Then I have my own kids. And uh, that ice cream truck started driving around our neighborhood. And uh, I remember my oldest daughter, she was still trying to figure things out and that thing came driving around the neighborhood, and she goes, Daddy, what's that? I said, sweetheart, that's a music truck. <laughs> yeah, just, just drives around just playing beautiful music for kids, just, just, just for you. She just, she just waved at it and went by, you know, I'm like, oh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> and then one of my neighbors, one of their kids ruined it all. <laughs> Told them inside that truck was some ice cream. And after that, it cost me lots of money, lots of money, lots of money. I want to tell you a story this morning about the greatest entrance anyone's ever experienced. It was a triumphal entrance into a city. It wasn't a music truck. It was better. It wasn't the World War II veterans coming home and celebrating in New York City with a ticker tape parade. It wasn't... It was greater than, than, the, than the heroes of the Allied armies setting free Paris and walking and marching underneath the Eiffel Tower. It was, it was greater than, than the General Grant releasing uh, the slaves free and, at Appomattox and pronouncing the end of the Civil War. It was, it was an entrance unlike any other entrance before or after. It was called the triumphal entrance. And this morning, as we begin what was called Passion Week or Holy Week, 
Today is the beginning, if you would, of that particular week, the last week of Jesus' life, and it's very important that we understand what was happening and what's even going on now. I want to talk about that because it was an important event. In fact, if you were to read the Gospels, the four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the records of Jesus' life while he's on this earth, there was 89 chapters in the first four books describing Jesus' life. Of those 89 chapters, only four of them dealt with Jesus' life between the time of his birth until the age of four years old. The rest of the 89 chapters, 85 to be exact, dealt with Jesus' life the rest of his time here on this earth for 33 and a half years. What's interesting about that, though, is that the last um, week of his life dominates most of all the gospel writers' writings. In fact, two-fifths of the gospel of Matthew deals with this one week. Three-fifths of the book of Mark deal with this one week. One-third of the book of Luke deals in this, about this one week. And almost half of the book of John deals with this one week. A lot of things took place on this particular um, week in our history. In fact, on Sunday, as we call it Palm Sunday, which would, today would be called Palm Sunday, it was the, um, in the Jewish calendar, the uh, 10th day of the month of Nisan. They actually had Nisans back then, believe it or not. And in fact, someone said they even had, they even had Fords at, back then. Um, I believe it was a Ford because uh, God drove out Adam and Eve from the garden with a fury. And so, I don't know, I, I, they had cars back then. Uh, and that may not have been a right, correct joke, but it was a joke. <laughs> but it was the day also, Palm Sunday, was also the day that the Jewish families would select uh, the lamb to be sacrificed, that they would eventually sacrifice on the 14th day of the week, and so it was a very important day. It was, it was Palm Sunday, and, and uh, it would also be the day where the ultimate Lamb of God would come into the city of Jerusalem and present himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Let's pick up the book of John chapter 12 this morning, just read a little bit this morning, and just talk about this incredible week. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things really had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And now the crowd that was with him when he had called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word, and many people, be, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. There's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture. Again, as I mentioned, it would be the last week of Jesus' life, and he realizes that his days are numbered. He enters into the city knowing that his entire life's pur purpose hinges upon what's about to take place in the next few days. In fact, the fate and the destiny of all humanity 
would be determined by what this man would do in the next several days. It would be the final climax of the greatest drama known to human history. My question to you is, what would you do if you knew it was the last week of your life? What would you do if you knew you just had one more week to live? live? I know my dad, a story when he had been diagnosed with a disease and we didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but it looked very bleak. I remember one day he called my brother and I to come to the house. We went to the house in the living room there he sat and he, he called us to his side. We knelt down in front of him and he said, sons, you know, I'm not sure how things are going to play out, but I want you all to ask me any question you've ever had. I want to make sure that, that I leave this world having not hid anything from you. Uh, any question, any, any, anything in your heart you want to say, any, any regret you have, anything you want to tell me, I just want to take this moment and I want you all to just be real with me, more real, more raw than you've ever been in your life. It was a very, it was a very emotional moment. It, it lasted quite a while and we had a good conversation and it ended with him putting his hands on our heads and blessing us as a father would his sons. What would you do the last week of your life? In Jesus' last week of his life, let me tell you a few things that he would do. He would heal blind Bartimaeus, a man that could have gone one more week. Had this not had it happened a week before, he would have been blind the rest of his life. Blind Bartimaeus had been healed. He would go to Zacchaeus' house beckon him to come down from a tree, have dinner in his house, and cause Zacchaeus to see that he was welcomed into the kingdom of God. He would also go to the house of Simon, who is known as Simon the leper. Many believe he had been one of the 10 that he had, he literally had prayed over, had pronounced healing over, that had been healed of their leprosy. He would, on Sunday, enter Jerusalem, as we mentioned, and on Monday, he would cleanse this temple the second time. He would also walk by a fig tree that was green but wasn't producing any fruit and he would curse it. On Tuesday, he would teach all day long. This is important. On, all, on Tuesday, all day long, he would teach in the temple. And from this brief time of teaching, this day long of teaching, he would, he would share with us parable after parable after parable. Many of the parables that you read about in the gospel was spoken on one day in the temple on Jesus' last week of his life. Constantly giving out, constantly trying to communicate about this incredible kingdom of God that was about, about to come upon them. And then on Wednesday, Mary would anoint his feet and head even though Judas did not like that and thought the oil could have been spent other places, Jesus said she had to do this. She had to anoint my body for burial because there would not be enough time for his body to be anointed, which was the tradition. And that time after he had died, which is typically what would happen, he knew there would not be enough time. They had to get him off the cross before the sun went down. And so she anointed him for burial before he was even on the cross. 
And it would be Thursday, he would eat the Passover meal with the disciples like we just had talked about a few minutes ago. What do you think he talked about at that meal? What would you say, what would you talk about if it was the first or the last meal that you would ever have with those that you love so much? Here's what Jesus talked about. He talked about that he was the only way to the Father, that no one could come to the Father except through him. He talked about the Holy Spirit and how he was going to come after he had died and went to be with the Father, and the Holy Spirit would be our comforter. He would be our guide. He would be our teacher, and he would bring us power. He would also talk about the vine. He'd be in the vine, and we would be the branches. He talked about the fact that the world was not going to like them. In fact, the world would hate them. How would you like to have that for your last meal with somebody you loved? Oh, by the way, when I leave here, everyone's going to hate you. He would talk about the grief that they would experience, but their grief would be turned to joy. And then he prayed. He prayed the great priestly prayer. In John 17, he prayed for himself, and he prayed for the disciples. He prayed for the believers. He prayed for us, if you would. He prayed that we would be one, that we would love one another, as, and that we would be one with him as he was with the Father. And it was an incredible meal, a meal that you would never, ever forget. Uh, and yet, during this time, God chooses a location called Jerusalem to be the location where all this would take place. I want us to read another passage in Luke chapter 19. As he approached Jerusalem, can I just say this? The word Jerusalem means the city of peace. So as he approaches a city that was supposed to be filled with peace, he saw the city, he wept over the city, and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. He's addressing the fact that he's entering into a place that's supposed to be known for one thing, but is not known for it at all. In fact, it brings him to tears. He's weeping as he enters into the city, a city that was supposed to be a place where people could find God, know God, experience God, but they have not found God. They've not experienced God. They have not even known that God was even actually in their midst, riding into their city. He said, you have been looking for peace. You think that this place is a peace, but can I tell you, oh, you don't understand that the Prince of Peace uh, is what makes a city filled with peace. Uh, it's only the presence of God that makes anything worthwhile. And he, he was just longing for the people in the city to know that there was a presence, a presence of God that would enter into their city. If you would, it would enter into your city and he would bring you peace. Uh, if you just welcome him into your city, if you just know who's entering your life. <clears throat> and isn't peace the desire of all humanity? I mean, I remember the 60s. Some of you remember very well. You had a Volkswagen. You had tie-dye T-shirt. You had a headband on. You walked around with a little emblem of a peace sign. You do this all the time. How many hippies we got up in the house? Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You all straightened up, cleaned up since that time. Y'all, we wouldn't even recognize you back then. And all you talked about was peace, man. Peace, baby. Peace, 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 baby. Peace. Just want peace, man. Peace. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that the, 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 the 60s was known as the people that just wanted peace? And they couldn't find peace anywhere. People have always just wanted peace. I've been following closely the Ukrainian-Russian conflict going on, and I, 
I just, I'm just consumed with it probably because I've been to that nation more than any other nation I've ever been to. And I, I know people there. I've been, I preached in their churches. I've, I've ministered to the people. I've stood on the streets. We started a church there. I, I love the people. And I, my heart has been ripped apart. And it's just watching what's unfolding there in that country and, and people spending weeks at a time in a damp basement, uh, not able to go outside because of the bombardment that's taking place. Literally people dying in the basement and they're piling them up in the corners and, and then watching mothers identify their sons in a morgue uh, as they unzip the, the body bag and they see their son, they see that tattoo, they know that's my son and seeing the mother, I'm, I'm watching an interview of one mother and she just falls apart. Uh, her only, she goes, this is my only son and now I will never have children, I'll never have grandchildren, everything I have has been lost uh, and then she would make this incredible statement, why can't we just have peace? Just want peace. I, I just want some peace in my life. And Jesus would come as the Prince of Peace and we don't understand the pricelessness of peace until it's out of reach, do we? And the child trying to fall just like the child trying to fall asleep at night, hearing the parents in the other room arguing, yelling at one another, and the child wanting to know in their heart, will my parents still be married when I wake up in the morning? Will they, one of them be gone? Will one of them still be, will they both be here? What's going to be the lot of my life? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just growing up wanting to have peace in your home. A, a mother sobbing over her son as he storms out of the house. I remember going to a house and, 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 and having to tell a mother that her son had just been killed that night after he had run a a stop sign out in the middle of the country going 90 miles an hour and T-bones a grandfather and his grandson driving a truck uh, and he t all three of them were killed. I had to go tell the mother who was in our church whose son had been the cause of that accident uh, and I had to tell her that her son had died uh, and there had been others in the accident. They had died as well and I remember the pain in her face and the cry coming from her heart and her mouth and she began to cry and then she told me the last words uh, her son ever said when he left the house was, I hate you. And having to live the rest of her life uh, knowing the last words her child had ever spoken were the words hate, when she just longed for love and peace. Many people understand the attic wondering why the voices in their head will not be silent. Uh, the couple arguing in the lawyer's office, who's going to get what in the divorce case? Uh, the world filled with chaos and pain. And yet all it needs is, is to recognize that the king of glory, the prince of peace, uh, it beckons at the house, uh, beckons at the front door, beckons right here at your heart, desiring to come in and make everything new again. Can somebody give you God some praise for the prince of peace that's up in the house? And inside the city, Jesus would be, be condemned. And outside the city, he would die as an innocent man for our sins. As a result, man would finally be restored to the relationship with God. And no more, this is the good news, no more would man ever need a priest to go before them, before God, to represent them. And now you and I can go freely before the throne of grace, boldly, as it says, into the very heart of God and begin to talk to our Father as a one-in-one -one conversation. No more will bloody sacrifices uh, have to be given in hopes that maybe God would wink at our sin one more year. No more would living under the yoke of the law be our lifestyle, but we would be set free from the law and we would be able to walk uh, 
in the Spirit, and the Spirit speaking to us, knowing what is right and wrong every step of the way. This was an incredible day. Jesus entering the city and making everything new again. I want to just give you quickly four things how Jesus comes into your life as we walked, watched how Jesus walked into the city of Jerusalem. Number one, I see in this passage that when he comes into my life, as he did then, he makes and comes as something new. He comes as something new. They had been three, there was three feasts that the Israelites would always acknowledge and participate in every year, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles every year. They would have three feasts, like, like a holiday, like we have Fourth of July or Christmas or Easter, whatever. And they would have these three feasts. And on this day, they would all come to Jerusalem. It was, it was a time that they would commemorate. On this particular feast, the Feast of Passover, how the Israelites had been uh, evacuated supernaturally out of Egypt and out of bondage years ago. And, and so God would call them together to remember uh, what he had done so many years ago. But as many things happen, over time, things just begin to be just a routine? How many experience Thanksgiving every year and don't have one time where you actually tell your kids uh, or tell somebody else or somebody tells you what they're thankful for and how thankful they are that they live in an incredible country that we live in? We just go through the, uh, the holidays just not even thinking about what it represents. We just, we just go through them. And this was no doubt what they were doing at that time. They loaded up the family. They, they would caravan as they would always do to Jerusalem and they would travel the same old roads, the old dusty road that they traveled every year. They would pray the same old prayers as they prayed every year. They would sacrifice another animal as they did every year. It was boring. It was stale. It was repetitious. It was religion. And that's what religion is. Religion is somehow your approach to God when God, Jesus, approached Jerusalem a whole different way. It said, because I'm coming into Jerusalem, when I get done, it's no longer going to be a ritual. It's no longer going to be religion. It's going to be a relationship. And everything that's stale, everything that seems to be so um, archaic is going to be transformed. I, I love the difference between religion and relationship because religion emphasizes the outward. You got to look the part. You got to look like this. And if you look like this, you're going to be a born again Christian. It's funny, isn't it? How we tell everybody, come to Jesus uh, just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. And then you come to Jesus and then someone says, hey, by the way, if you want him to keep loving you, you got to change. Now, I believe we have to change. I do believe being in a relationship with the Lord is changed, but I don't believe it's legalistic. Jesus would say to even some of the religious people, you're nothing but a whitewashed sepulcher. In other words, you're a tombstone that's just been painted up. I like the fact that religion emphasizes what I can't do, thou shalt not, but relationship emphasizes what I can do. It's which is what I love about Summit Church is that we have decided that we want to be known more for what we are for than what we're against. Come on. (laughs) 
Religion puts up barriers. Relationships pulls down barriers. Religion says there's a court, there's an outer court. You can come in if you're a Gentile. There's an inner court you can come to if you're a Jew. There's an holy of holies you can go to if you're a priest. Religion always puts up barriers, but thank God for relationship. It always pulls down barriers because religion is just good at keeping people out. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Relationship pulls it all down. And religion says, work your way to God. And relationship says, Jesus is the way to God. And all the world's religions will tell you, if you want to be ever a get to another place, a, a place of nirvana, heaven, whatever they want to call it, you're going to have to work your way to it. But this is the only belief system called Christianity where you don't have to work your way to something. You just have to recognize you already have it in the name of Jesus Christ and through a relationship with the Father. So what I'm saying is Jesus comes when he comes into my city, he makes everything new. And number two, Jesus comes nominally and humbly. It's interesting to me that he came on a donkey. Why a donkey? Why a donkey? Why not a, you know, a Lamborghini or, you know, a, why not a stagecoach or a, something else? Because in it, I believe he shows us his greatest desire and his greatest desire is that he would, he would be a, a king of peace. You see, in those days, if you were a king, you didn't ride donkeys, you rode horses. And Jesus said, I'm not going to come in as a king conquering something on a horse. I, I'm going to come on a donkey because, see, if you, if you were a king in those days and you wanted to make peace with the opposition, what you would do is you would ride out to the enemy on a donkey. And when the enemy sees you coming on a donkey, they recognize that, oh, the king has come to make peace, not to make war. So Jesus comes on a donkey because he's wanting us to understand that he's bringing, he's ushering peace into the scenario, into our story. He's not bringing judgment. He's not bringing violence. He's not bringing death and destruction. He's bringing peace. So he rides in on a donkey. But thank God he died and now has been resurrected, sits, sits at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that he's going to come back uh, on a horse. The, 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 the traditions of that time tell us that the, the kings would make sure that they always, um, the, the, the big chief, the big cheese, the big king would always ride in on the tallest horse. You couldn't be on just a horse. Your horse, if you were the conquering king and you're coming into a city after conquering the enemy, you would ride in leading your army on the tallest horse. of ever. No one could have a t horse taller than you. Probably where we get the phrase, get off your high horse. You think you're something, don't you? But you're not all that. But this, the king that comes in on a horse, his horse is higher than anyone else's horse, and he comes in riding triumphantly into the city. And this time Jesus comes in and he presents himself uh, unlike any other time. Every other time in Jesus' ministry, he would do a miracle. I didn't ever understand this, and he would tell people, I know I just healed you of this disease, but don't tell nobody. I'm like, seriously? That was the greatest marketing moment you could ever have. Let them tell everybody. Shh, no, shh, 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 keep it quiet. 
It's not time for me to announce my, my rulership. But this time he walks in, he, he rides into Jerusalem as the king. And he lets everybody know he's the king. He doesn't mind. Go ahead and say it because now you get it. I am the king. I am the one that he presents himself as the king. He presents himself as the one who is come and arrived upon the scene to set people free and to vanish the enemy once and for all. He says, yeah, I am the king. If there's ever going to be a time you recognize I'm the king, I guess it would be now. Let's go ahead. Go ahead and say it like it is. I am the king. The king of kings is entering to your city. And look at Revelation chapter 19. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Can I say Jesus? Uh, whose with justice he judges and rages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. I'm talking about the now present Jesus uh, who's coming on a white horse. Uh, and on his head are many crowns and his name is written on him that no one knows but himself. And he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. Can I say the cross? Uh, and his name is the word of God and the armies of heaven were following him. That's the church. Come on, turn to your, na- turn to your neighbor and tell him, hello church, hello neighbor, hello, hello army of God. Come on, hello army of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, the church riding on white horses, dressed in linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth, the sharp sword with which to strike the fury down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of all lords. I'm no longer on a donkey. I'm riding on a white horse because I've already vanquished the enemy and he's under my feet. Come on, somebody. Number three, Jesus comes not as I expect. Hmm. Zechariah 9.9, he's fulfilling literally the prophecy of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I can point out to you the fact that even the disciples, as close as they were to Jesus, didn't even know, know that he was, he was fulfilling Scripture even when he did this. It wasn't until after he had gone to be with the Father they began to think back and go, you know, I think I read about something in Zechariah where he would come into the city on a donkey. And I believe that Jesus is coming again. But I don't think he's coming as I expect him to come. Matthew says that he was on a female donkey and it's full. Jesus rode on a donkey and the mother came along too. The foal is now calmed down because mama's with him. Let me show you what he came in on. Some of y'all may find this shocking to believe. Let me show you a picture. He didn't come in on the white one on your left. He came in on the brown one on your right. It was a it was a donkey that had not even been written, ridden, it says. In other words, when Jesus comes into your city, he's, he wants to come totally different than what you thought. He, he wants broken. He, he wants to make sure that, that you're broken before him, that nothing else has ridden you and rules you. He comes in this little, this little tiny donkey. If you can imagine, his feet are probably dragging the ground. It doesn't look like some king that you would 
expect entering into a city, does it? He's, have you ever ridden one? I, I, my neighbor used to have some of these little tiny little horses like that. And, and we would play football in, <laughs> we play football in the pen and riding these little, and our feet would drag the ground and, and, and we would go like this, up and down, up and down. It would jaw, jar your teeth out. If you can imagine Jesus walking in, you know, to Jerusalem with his, you know, the head shaking up and down and, this isn't what you expect to see from a king. He looks awkward, not distinguished. Doesn't look like you expect. I remember, maybe this will help some people out. I was early in my Christian walk and for some reason I was fascinated with end times. I wanted to know how Jesus was gonna come back. And I was reading all these books and studying all these books of premillennium and postmillennium and all millennium and one of my friends said he was a, he was a pan-millennialist. I said, what's that? He goes, it's all going to pan out. <laughs> and I found myself all just discouraged and jumbled up, and I, I didn't want to miss it. And, and I remember one day I took a walk, and, and the Lord said, I, I felt like literally the Lord said to me, he said, son, I, I, I need you to not put me in a box. Don't paint me in such a picture that I'm coming back in such a way because they did that before, and when I didn't come back the way they thought I was going to come, even though I fulfilled everything I said I was going to fulfill, it didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like, and so they missed it. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, totally missed it. The most religious scribes of the hour missed what I was doing because they had put me in a box. Don't put me in a box. Well, at that point, it set me free. I'm like, okay, God, however you want to do it, I'm just going to let you do it. I'm not even going to worry about it. And then he said to me, challenged me a few years later, he says, if you're going to be consumed with something, why don't you just be consumed with this, how I'm going to come back inside of you? Why don't you just study that? How am I going to look like when I come into you and out of your life? That was a set me free moment. A lot of people look in the book of Revelation, trying to interpret the book of Revelation I've never even read the first 65 books. You're reading the book of Revelation like you look in a magazine, you pick up a magazine, you go straight to the back. Why do you do that? Jesus is coming back, but probably not like I think he's coming back. But most importantly, he's coming back in me. That's the primary thing. Turn your neighbor and tell him he's coming back in you right now. Come on. And lastly, Jesus comes now. I, of all I, I've talked about, this is what I really wanted to share. He comes now. This year was different than any other year. This is not like any other Passover time that they've experienced. The city was buzzing. Word had gotten out of what he had done with, with Lazarus just a few days before, he'd, he literally caused a man who had been dead for four days to come out of a grave, and, and he's alive even to this day. Many of the people that were there at the Passover had witnessed the incredible resurrection of Lazarus. This was a different day than the other pass, Passovers. They were talking with one another about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, 
who was doing miracles, who when he spoke, he spoke with passion and spoke with such authority, you, you couldn't help but be on the edge of your seat. And he would feed multitudes and cause the lepers to, to be cleansed. He would, he would do miracle after miracle after miracle. He would talk uh, about God as if he knew God, as if he was a, his own personal father. He, it was unlike another time they'd ever experienced. And, and they, would, they would hear Jesus coming into town. So they ran out to greet him because that's what you do when a king, a conquering king comes into your city. You go out and you greet him. And what was happening was that he had brought power into their belief. That was why the city was buzzing. Suddenly they realized, uh, no, yeah, there was a God. They believed there was a God. But this God was with them now. This God was, was, was available now. This God has something to say now. This God was not something in the distant uh, future. This was a now God. And so they run out to the city and they believe. Oh God, you've come with power. You've come with something to deliver us from. And they bowed down to him because he had cleansed the blind eyes. The leprosies were gone. The lame men had been walking. The bleeding had stopped. The withered hands had grown out. And the dead people were coming to life again. And they shouted, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. Which is interesting to me. Most people would say, well, what does Hosanna mean? Hosanna, oh, that means praise the Lord. No, that doesn't mean praise the Lord. They weren't shouting praise the Lord. What Hosanna means is save me now. Deliver me now. Everything had flipped. Religion was no longer at play. A relationship had come into play. And they realized that he had something that they did not have. And they said, Jesus, save me now. Not next week. Jesus. Messiah, don't save me next month. Don't save me when I'm good enough. Don't save me when I got my act together. Don't save me when I feel like I'm able to be a part of the kingdom of God. Oh, Jesus, I know I'm humble. I know I'm broken. I know I'm messed up. But I ask you, Jesus, would you save me now? Hosanna, 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 save me now. We can talk about a king coming into a city all day long, but until we humble our knee, until we say, God, I'm broken, I'm messed up, I got some problems in my life, would you save me now? It's just a king coming into a city, but everything changes when you bow your knee, you put down a palm branch and say, I know you have the power to deliver me now. Deliver me now. Save me now. Now. It's all about now. When is now going to become the focal point of your life? How long do you have to stay in this neutral spot where God can't use you and help bring about a manifestation of his kingdom because you you don't feel you measure up. 
<laughs> Do you feel, how long, how long are you going to stay in this spot? Oh, man. How long are you just going to attend a church service before you become a player? How long are you going to stay in this position where you think, well, one day God will use me when I, when I, when I finally get over this hump or get over that hump? How, how long are you going to live until the day you die and one day on your last breath go, you know what? I sure wish I, I would have somehow recognized him as Hosanna, the God that saves now and delivers now. I sure wish I'd have done something with my life. How much time are you going to waste before Hosanna comes out of your mouth and you realize he can use you now, not next week, not tomorrow. He can use you now. I'm talking to some people this morning. I know as I know that I know. You need to hear this. It's all about now. Save me now. There's stuff that's been going on in your life for years and you haven't dealt with it. There's all sorts of excuses and reasons you've given. At what point will you say, I got, I got to get, I got to move on. I got to get with the program, what God has in store for me. Hmm. Save me now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. There are some people here this morning that you know you are one that I'm talking to. And you have been putting off moving into the greater things of God. You've been putting it off for a while. You've given every excuse possible why you can't move into your purpose, into the plan that God has for you. And today the Lord's saying that's, that's not gonna happen anymore. I'm coming into your heart, into your city, into your life as triumphal king have come to change you and to help you and to bring life to you. I'm talking to you. God's talking to you. And this morning, what you really actually need is to say, God, save me now. Maybe you probably already know Jesus, but your life is not moving in the direction of what you believe. Save me now. Deliver me now. So all across this room, that's you. You say, man, I need, I need God to touch my life today. I'm, I'm going to get off of this merry-go-round I've been on, and I'm, I'm making the decision. I'm changing. I'm getting in the game. I'm engaging in the kingdom of God. I'm going to allow the Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords to to begin to reactivate my life again. I, I'm, I'm going to engage again in the kingdom that he has for me. I want you to raise your hand real high, right where you're at. Come on. Yes, 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 yes. Come on. I'm engaging now. Come on. Amen. Amen. Yes.
Come on. Amen. I'm engaging. I'm engaging. Yeah. Now I want you to keep your hand real high. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you need to. I want to ask everyone to look around. I want you to see that hand that's in front of you, behind you, beside you. If you're sitting next to that person, I want you to put your hand right there on their shoulder. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray right now. Come on. We got hands in the back, up there, yeah. Here on my left, yeah, good. Right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. We need some hands. We need some people touching right here, right here. Thank you. Father God, right now in Jesus' name, you see our hands. And we truly believe that you desire to enter into our city, into our heart, into our life now. And so we raise our hands and we say, Lord, here am I. Activate me. Forgive me for feeling I'm unqualified. Forgive me for feeling I'm not worthy. Father, I'm leaning into you and I believe that you're delivering me of all the stuff that you need to clean out of me. And I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm gonna be a part. I'm gonna be a part. I'm gonna be a part of what you wanna do in the earth. I thank you that you hear my cry. Save me now. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we give Jesus some praise this morning? <coughs> amen. Have our all prayer team, if you would come up front. And so grateful, so thankful for you, my friends. Thank you for being such a great church. Thank you for being a people that lives what you believe. I love that about you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your sacrificial life. Thank you for pouring into other people over and over and over again. Thank you for being a light in our community. Thank you for being hope in a dark world. Thank you for believing in a God that is a very present truth. Thank you for living out what you believe. Thank you for taking to school what you believe, telling others about him. Thank you for going to work day in and day out praying for those around you, offering Christ to those without him. Thank you for being a church that wants to be known what you're for more than you're against. Thank you for being the church. Give yourselves a good hand this morning. Would you do that? Yeah. Amen. We're going to close with one prayer. If you have never asked Jesus in your heart, Today is that day. We have prayer teams up here. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to invite you, have you invite Christ into your heart. It changed my life forever. It'll change your life forever. We'll give you a free Bible. We'll give you some material put in your hands to start your journey with God. If you just need prayer about anything, we're here to pray for you as well. So if we could all stand, let me dismiss us with a prayer. That would be awesome this morning. Heavenly Father, today we're here and we're grateful and we're thankful that you've entered into our city. 
You've come, Lord Jesus, in all power, in all glory. You've come, Lord God, to make everything new. As we enter Passion Week, as we enter this week, just with a reminder of our hearts of what you did 2,000 years ago, we're grateful to Stephen be a part of it. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.